You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. God is good, and all the time, amen. It's a joy and privilege to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I want to invite you to turn your copy of God's Word uh, to the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1 today, and I want to warn you, this coat may be coming off because it's getting a little toasty up here, just so you know, um, that may be, uh, in fact, let me just go ahead and do that now. <laughs> but anyhow, um, Isaiah chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And uh, we're leaving the Gospel of John for a week because uh, the Lord's been dealing with my heart over an issue we have in the modern American church. And even in our denomination of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I'll I'll mention uh, to you what I'm talking about in just a few moments. Uh, But today, what what I feel that the Lord is wanting us to hear this morning and what the Lord is wanting me to say this morning is that we need purification in the church. We need purification in the church for the United States of America because, quite honestly, the church is going down some avenues, I believe, that is disastrous if we continue doing some of the things we're doing as modern Americans. uh, we, We would eventually get to the point to ask, why is it God blessing our church? The reality is we should ask ourselves, why would God bless our church? if we continue doing some of the things that we do as American Christians. So we want to invite you to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious Holy Word. We're in Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1, verse 10, also verses 15 through 20. As uh, Isaiah writes this prophecy, we see in verse 1 to Judah, "...the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, uh, which he saw concerning Judah..." And Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he is writing this message to the people of God. He is writing this nation, this message to Judah. He is proclaiming this message to God's people. And notice he says in verse 10, even though he is directing his attention to uh, the people of Judah, the, the Lord says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Their actions had become likened to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. It had gotten that bad. He goes on in verse 15 to say, he says, when you spread out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. He goes on to say, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. 
Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace and mercy upon us. And Lord, as we come to you today, our hearts are heavy burdened by news we have heard, even in our own denomination, news from several denominations, things that are going on, Lord, that are bringing us heartache and, and wonder and concern about the future of the church in the United States. So Lord, we come today, Lord, asking for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit, asking this morning, Lord, that you would grant us insight and understanding as to what you want us to do to be purified as your people so that we can see another great awakening taking place in this land in which we love. Lord, we just ask that through this Holy Spirit that you allow me to say the things that need to be spoken, hold back anything that doesn't need to be spoken, and we just pray, Lord, that you grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that will respond to the truths that you have place before us. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I was up at Lynchburg, up at Liberty University, when Dr. Gary Habermas broke the news to us in class. I hadn't heard this before. And he said that a new report had come out on the Houston Chronicle that reported that not, since 1998, roughly 380 Southern Baptist church leaders and volunteers, including pastors, youth pastors, church volunteers, church workers, had faced allegations of sexual misconduct. More of them worked in Texas than any other state, but they went nationwide. 220 offenders had been convicted or took plea deals, leaving behind over 700 victims of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. We have a problem. Amen? Now, I know, as I was talking with some this morning, I know that sometimes when reports happen that some people will feed off that for attention, but we cannot dismiss this because many of these cases are legitimate. And I would even dare say if one case was legitimate, that would be one too many. Such was the case of a 14-year-old girl by the name of Heather Schneider who was abused at Houston Second Baptist Church at the age of 14. A week after her abuse, she came to her mother saying that we have something to talk about. And a week after her abuse, she slit her wrists, killing herself. Church, we have a problem. We have a major problem. Even this weekend as we speak, a major denomination in the United States, a global denomination at that, is seeking to pass legislation that would accept things that are not biblical. There is another pastor in Colorado, I am told, who took women's purity rings to keep themselves pure before marriage, took these purity rings and had them melted into a statue of a woman's body part and gave it as a trophy to an abortionist. Church, we have a problem. And if we don't correct this, if we as a people of God do not stand for justice, for truth, and for the love of Christ, we will not survive. Now the church will go on. The church will be around until the Christ returns. But church, we have a problem. We want to see our churches blessed. We want to see the lost 
saved. We want to see individuals transformed, but God is not going to bless sin. Period. Amen? He is not going to bless sin. So we as the people of God, as a church, as a people, as a denomination, we must be purified by the purifying fires of the Holy Spirit. So how does this happen? First of all, we see the methods of purification. The prophet notes that for purification to occur, one must be willing to change. In the Greek, the word for repentance is metanoia, which simply means it's a person who's walking down one path. They see the error of their ways, and they make an about-face and turn in the other direction. Unfortunately, so many times, we want to have this Burger King theology, we want to have it our way. Amen? But God doesn't work like that. God didn't come to save you and save me to leave us as we are. He came to make a transformation in our lives. He came to make a transformation in our hearts and to set us on a different path. This includes a method of cleansing. Isaiah makes four statements in verse 16. Notice he says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from my eyes. Cease to do evil. Simply put, God is not going to bless us as His children if we willfully continue to live in sin. Folks, understand we're not perfect people and understand we are people of grace and the only way that we can be saved is by the grace of God. But when we stand to God and say, God, your words are lies and my opinions are truth, we're, stick, we're simply sticking our thumb up at God and saying that God doesn't know what He's talking about. Heaven help us. Heaven help us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is the Lord. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Romans 12.1-2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Again, so many times we come to Christianity and we think that God owes us something. But I want to give you a truth, and I hope you hear my heart. God owes us absolutely nothing. God owes us absolutely nothing. The name of God, Yahweh, simply means the self-existent one. It means that He relies upon no one or nothing, but that everything, and I mean everything, relies upon Him. If God were to take His hand off of creation, creation would cease to exist. I think of a time whenever I was uh, working in the textile manufacturing industry. And I had the position of an instructor, and I was to instruct new recruits in and, and teach them how to do the inspecting job. And, and uh, it was interesting. It was an interesting job. I remember having, uh, there was one young lady who came in, and uh, she, was, uh, she was getting ready to start packing, and I told her what she needed to do, showed her how to pack a box and how to look for the problems in the yarn. And so uh, what she would do is she would simply pack a box and then stop and go, Fix her fingernails. I said, uh, honey, you know you have a quota. Oh, I know. And then she packed another box, and there's a mirror sitting there where you can inspect for, for flaws in the yarn. She would look in that mirror and check her hair. And 
check her lipstick and pretty herself up. I said, honey, you know you have a quota to meet. Oh, I know. She continued to do this. Needless to say, she didn't meet her quota and she didn't keep her job. But she had this mentality. Uh, she had this mentality that she was owed work. But my daddy told me a long time ago, says, Dad, honey, no one owes you a living. Amen? And I think we need to understand that no one owes us anything, and God doesn't owe us anything, folks. And so when we come to God expecting God to owe us something, we come with the wrong mentality. That's what happened to Israel, and that's what's happening in our churches so many times. The question we must ask ourselves is, are we going to allow God to transform our lives, or are we content in continuing to live our lives in sin? That's a big question we must ask ourselves in church today. Second, there's a method of learning. The second method of purification requires that we learn to do what's good. We learn to do what's good. Now, there's a book out called The Golden Compass that is written by Phil Pullman. Uh, he wrote a series of novels to counter C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And in this book, the heroes are individuals who, who symbolically uh, try to fight against God and try to fight against religion. And, and throughout the text, he, he sees that fighting against God seems to be good. But here's the thing. Here's the problem with that. God is the source of all goodness. He is the one who has to teach us how to be good because He is the perfection of goodness. He is the perfection of right. He is the perfection of what is love and what is holy. And the reality is, is that we must learn these truths from God. We can't learn them from ourselves. They must come from God. I remember reading a story this past week about a young lady who was crying to her mother. and said, Her mother says, Honey, what's wrong? She said, Well, my boyfriend has asked me to marry him. And she said, well, what's wrong with that? He's a nice young man. She says, well, Mom, he's an atheist, and he doesn't believe in hell. And her mother says, oh, honey, go ahead and marry him. Between you and me, we can get him to the point where he believes in hell. I don't know if I feel more sorry for the woman or the boy there, you know. But the reality is, is uh, she was going to be the source to show him. But, anyhow, but the, God is the source to show us goodness and holiness and love and purity so we can never stop learning. We must continue to be Christ's disciples and always learn at His feet. And lastly, there's also the method of defending. Look what he says. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. The widow in ancient times had, had very little rights. Women who were widows who didn't have a son or, or anyone to help support them were left destitute in many, many cases. Some of them had to resort to prostitution or, or to, to make certain things to try to make a living. And as fortunate as that is, they were left vulnerable. And so what Isaiah is saying, what God is saying through Isaiah is that we must defend those who are oppressed and we must defend those who are victims of heinous crimes. We must, as a church, stand up for what's right and take a stand against these kind of actions because God will not bless sexual misconduct. Jesus says... If you hurt one of the least of these, it is better for you to be, have a millstone, which weighs several tons, for you to be, have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the middle of the ocean than for what's going to happen to you at the day of judgment. God takes sexual abuse very seriously. God takes these cases very seriously, and so should we 
as the church. Peter writes that it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. We need to remember that. Edmund Burke, an Irish parliamentarian, wrote the following to Thomas Mercer. He says, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Amen? The only way evil will survive is for good men to do nothing. He goes on to say, When bad men combine, the good must associate, else they will fall. One by one, an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. We must, as a church, as a people of God, stand for what's right. Stand for the truth. Secondly, we see the source of purification. In verses 18 and 19, he says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. The source of this purification does not come from your pastor. I can't purify your heart. I can't purify my heart. I can't purify anyone's heart. The deacons can't do that for you. Purification must come by God and God alone. He is the one who purifies our hearts. He is the one who can take our sins, though they be as red as scarlet, and can wash them as white as snow. This purification comes by the cleansing power of the blood of the Lamb. This purification comes by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and it cannot come by anyone else. A sinner dying on a cross would only die for his own sins. It took the sinless Lamb of God to come and bear your sin upon His back so that you could have a way into heaven. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And the Spirit of God is awaiting he is awaiting, awaiting our response to see whether or not we are going to open our heart's door and let Him purify us or not. I, I can say this now because we've already sold the house. But we had an electrical socket at our old house that didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. And we tested it and tested it and tested it. It had power coming to it. But there was some problem with the neutral circuit going back. And because it didn't make a complete circuit... There wasn't any power to the electrical socket. So the point is like this as well. God stands ready and willing and able to purify our hearts, to purify our souls. The question is, are we going to be responsive to Him today? As, as He says in the Scripture, as He says in the Scripture, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But then we take a look and see what happens at the rejection of purification. We see that this rejection comes when people stand opposed to what God is doing, when people stand opposed to the empowering will of God, the empowering Spirit of God. We see a rejection comes in two ways. First of all, there's a rejection of worship. Notice again in verse 1, he's talking to the people of Judah. In verse 10, their actions had made them liken to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. But look at verse 15. He says, When you spread out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear because your hands are full of blood. God may not receive our prayers if we allow certain things to continue in our lives. 
I've written down six that I found. There may be more that we could say, but there are six ways that God may not hear our prayers. First of all, we see that if we are praying according to self-centeredness, God may not hear our prayers. John says, or actually Jesus says, if we ask, I mean, excuse me, John says in 1 John 5, 14, if we ask anything to His will, according to His will, He hears us. James, however, says in James 4, 3, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now that may mean that when we ask to win the lottery and ask to have a brand new Maserati or a brand new Lamborghini, God may not listen to those prayers. Because, I mean, we, may, we, can, we can bargain with God. Says, oh God, if you give me a millions of dollars and a Lamborghini, I'll give a portion to the poor. Are you really going to do that? <laughs> You might give a little bit. I mean, maybe you will. I don't know. Maybe you will. But what type of prayer is that? Now, me, even if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't get a new Lamborghini. You know why? Because the first day I'd park it, park it at Walmart and someone would ding the doors. I guarantee you that's what would happen. Someone would ding the doors the first day. So self-centeredness may lead us uh, to have our prayers unheard. Rejecting Scripture, rejecting truth. Solomon says in Proverbs 28, 9, that anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is detestable to God. So if we come to God and we're rejecting the truth of God, can we really expect God to bless us in our worship, to bless us in our prayer time? We also see that if we have unforgiving hearts, we may go without our prayers being heard. Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, He says, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive that person so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you of your wrongdoing. Folks, I understand what it's like to be used and abused. I've been, I've been thrown under the bus so many times I probably have tire marks on my back. I get it. I understand. But believe you that me, when Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sins, don't we owe it to God to forgive others? If not for anyone else, but for Jesus Himself. Uh, and forgiveness doesn't mean that you're saying what happened was all right. It doesn't mean that, that what, what happens is okay, but you're giving that person to God. And folks, when Jesus says that if we refuse to forgive others, our Heavenly Father will refuse to forgive us, I think He was being serious. Amen? I think He was being serious in that regard. So we need to learn to forgive. Also, bringing discord. Husbands, it says in 1 Peter 3, 7, In the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so your prayers will not be hindered. Of the seven things God detests is one, a heart that plots wickedness in Proverbs 6.18. If we are seeking, if we are seeking to cause discord, we may go without our prayers being heard. Unconfessed sin is another way that our prayers may not be heard. In Psalm 66.18, the psalmist says, If I had been aware of the malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Also doubt. Now listen, folks, I understand. <laughs> I understand, believe you me. I know what it's like to have doubts. But when we go to God and we don't believe that God has the power to answer our uh, prayers, then our prayers may go unheard. If we do not turn to the Lord and allow Him to work through us, then why should we expect Him to bless our lives? Amen? Why should we expect Him to bless our church 
why should we expect Him to bless our denomination? Lastly, we see a rejection of mercy. God's patience is great, but it only goes so far. And then there comes a day and age of judgment. Verse 20 we see, If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God has shown mercy to His people, but Peter warns us that when judgment begins, it begins with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And folks, God has been too good for, to us to allow bitterness in these issues in our lives to continue. God has been too good for us to, for us to turn our backs on those who may be oppressed and afflicted. God has been too good for us to us for this to happen. But understand this, when God brings judgment, He means business. In fact, recent excavation has have gone on uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And archaeologists have found a rock that had some unusual minerals which was carbon dated to be somewhere around 3,700 years ago, about the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. The rock showed that a superheated asteroid exploded into a massive fireball and created a shock wave over the Dead Sea region. The impact likely caused a tsunami of Dead Sea brine, which is salt, uh, uh, that, uh, over what was once a fertile land. Zircon crystals would have formed within the first second of the extreme blast, which would have produced temperatures as hot as the surface of the sun. The airburst yielded some 10 megatons of damage over the northeast corner of the Dead Sea. Even though the area shows evidence of being inhabited some 2,500 years before the event, the area would have been uninhabitable for the next 700 years afterward. Furthermore, sturdy brick walls evaporated, leaving only stone foundations. The outer layers of these brick walls were turned to glass. When God brings judgment, He means business. Amen? So we must evaluate our lives, and we must understand that we need to be purified by His grace. God has been too good for us, to us for us to allow the devil to stand in our way. Story says an entire University of Michigan football team checked into their hotel rooms the night before playing Ohio State University. And one of the linemen, a big man, uh, was, he and all the team were told, uh, don't go out, don't leave the premises of this hotel room. You're to stay in your hotel tonight. We want you to get a good night's rest so you'll be prepared for the big game tomorrow. Well, this big guy, this guy was big. He was a six foot five at least, a big guy, a lineman. And he says, well, I'll go and do as I please, is what he said. So he got a lamp, and he put it underneath his bed and to make it look like someone was sleeping in the bed. Well, the coach comes around, and he's checking all the, all the, uh, the uh, rooms, and he happens to go in this one room and flips on the light. And what does he see but a lit lamp underneath the sheet <laughs> where the player was supposed to be. And so later on, uh, he goes and, uh, and he, he reveals that, yeah, he did indeed leave, he leave the, the, uh, the uh, room and wasn't able to play the next day. But you see, light does that. Light reveals darkness. And beloved, we as Christians and we as a church and we as a denomination, we must stand before a holy God and give an account of ourselves one day. And beloved, I don't know about you, 
But I open my life to be purified by God. If there's anything in my life that is against His will, I pray that God would remove it. And I pray that you would allow God to do the same thing in your life as well. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we ask you this morning, if there's something in your life that God needs to purify and cleanse, would you come down and allow the purifying power of the Holy Spirit to overtake those issues in your life, to purify and cleanse your life and your heart before a holy God? Or maybe you're here today and maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you to come today and receive Him before it's eternally too late. You may never get another opportunity to make things right with Him. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and in your life, we just encourage you to come as the Holy Spirit leads. Your kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. And we just ask, Lord, that during this time of invitation, that you would have your will and your way. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that knows you not, we pray that today would be the day of salvation for that individual. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Crucified.